Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob Parnell. I'm the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church. Uh, thank you for being here. It's awesome to worship together. Uh, I want to commend two prayers to you this morning. If you take away anything, if you want to have something practical to use on your Sunday, the last Sunday of the year, or to take into the new year with you, then it's these two prayers. The first one is, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You hear the, the two blind men say a variation of this. You hear this story again in Luke chapter, I forget the chapter, but it's in Luke and it's also in Mark, and some of the details change. Matthew tells the story. It's, it's two blind men crying out to Jesus, saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. One of them says in another account, uh, have mercy on me, a sinner. And from that has developed something that uh, Christians throughout the centuries have called the breath prayer or the Jesus prayer. It is simply, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Contemplative Christians will sometimes pray that prayer over and over and over again, kind of like a mantra. Sometimes called the breath prayer because you breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and then you breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Another Christian practice that some Christians will adopt is walking a prayer labyrinth slowly and intentionally, giving your mind something to think about, and that is just this Jesus prayer over and over again. So with each step, you say half the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as you walk throughout your neighborhood or a prayer labyrinth or just some intentional path that you choose as part of your prayer walk, you will have prayed this prayer uh, multiple times. This is the Jesus prayer. And this story that we're hearing this morning is where it comes from. The second prayer that I want to commend to you this morning is uh, we also get from this passage. It's the question that Jesus asks the two men who are by the roadside. They're blind men. They're beggars. They hear that Jesus is going by, so they shout, Have mercy on me! Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me! And he turns to them, and he asks the question, What do you want me to do for you? I want to suggest this morning that the best answer to that question is the question itself. Turn that back toward Jesus and say, Lord Jesus Christ, what do you want me to do for you? Because we can often think we know what we need, and then find out we don't really know what we need. Sometimes in life, we get exactly what we ask for, and then realize, actually not what I thought it was going to be, or not what I hoped it would be, or it turns out not even something that I actually needed in the first place. Nod your head if this sounds familiar. Have you ever gotten a Christmas present you were all excited about, but it didn't live up to your expectations? It wasn't quite right. It didn't fill that hole in your heart that you were sure that it was going to. If I just have this, then I'm all set. Ooh, oh boy. There's always something else that we need or that we want or that is missing in our lives. If we had Jesus come to us today like these two blind men and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would we even know how to answer that question? Some of us would say, absolutely. If I encountered Jesus, I would ask him the same thing I've been asking for the last several days or several months or several years. Like these two blind men, maybe sometimes the thing that we need 
is very obvious. We want to see. We want to be restored. We want to be healed. And we heard about Jesus. He seems like someone who can heal. Anybody else who passes by on the road, if they bothered to go to somebody in need, like these two blind men, and say, what do you want me to do for you? What would they have asked for? Money. I can't work. I'm ostracized in society. Everybody believes that because I'm blind, I have some kind of sinful state that was given to me by my parents or earned to me by my choices and my behaviors. I'm kind of a pariah here. So what would really help right now is just give me a little bit of a donation to get me to my next meal. It's probably what they were used to asking for from people. Mercy, just give me a little bit of mercy. I need alms. But for some reason, when Jesus walks by, they ask something much bigger, something much more unlikely. They say, we want to see. And Jesus says, I can do that. And he heals them. He restores their sight. They become his followers. It's an amazing story. In the other accounts that we hear from Luke and from Mark, we get the added detail that Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Kind of like the story of the man that was lowered down in front of Jesus. Do you know this story? Nod your head. There was a crippled person who wanted to come to Jesus who was doing all these healings, and they bring him down through the roof of a house because they can't get through the door. And the man sees the faith of the friends and the person who has not been able to walk. And he says, your faith has healed you. Go. And, and he was able to walk. There's this convergence of the miraculous power of Jesus, but the faith that he calls us to. He asks us to pray big prayers, to ask things that are of him, things that he can actually do. And I wonder sometimes if we ask too small. I've, I've mentioned this before. You've heard me say, I don't know if we're praying right, if we're praying for just a, little, just a little something, just a little coin, just a little Christmas gift, the thing that I was hoping for, I hope that I actually get. We encounter Jesus. Will we have enough faith to say, I need my life to be restored. I need my life to be transformed and to be changed for your purposes. Will we pray, Lord, make me who you want me to be? The best answer to the question when Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you, is to turn back to him and say, what do you want me to do for you? I was in India for most of the last month. A lot of you guys know this. Our family have some friends that live there, and they invited us to come, and they said, you guys get yourselves here, and we'll take it from there. We'll do the rest. And we said, okay. So we took all five of our children, ranging in age from 13 to 2, uh, and me and Lisa, and we went to India. And it was quite an adventure, and I'll tell you a bunch of stories about that. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear more about this. But one thing that we kept, one thing that kept coming up as we were traveling, you know, we kind of, we were on the road a lot. We were staying in hotels a lot. We had this like caravan tour of Rajasthan. So we were on a bus a lot, just like these long hours in the day. So we'd have conversations. We'd think about home. We'd think about what life would be like when we go back, back to normal. And you probably experienced this too. This is a good time of year for the holidays, kind of throw us into a different sort of mode. You might have relatives in town and they're sleeping in your guest room and you're starting to go, are they, are they, is it time for them to leave? Maybe we're getting close to going back to normal. Young people are going to be going back to school. We get back into our normal rhythms. And the turn of the year is a good time to ask questions like, what do I want to stay the same? And what do I want to change? A new year is somewhat of an arbitrary time, but it's a good time for us to say, to look back on the year, to look 
forward to the year that's coming and say, what do we want to change? But what do we want to not lose as things change? Anyway, when we were traveling in India, we asked this question of each other. What, what do you, when you get back home, what do you hope is the same? What do you hope didn't change? For me, it was honey bunches of oats, the cereal. We had so much good food in India as we traveled around, but, you know, you can only eat so much naan and dal and kulcha. I just got burnt out on it. Some days, I just wanted a bowl of honey bunches of oats. I was like, man, I hope they didn't change the recipe while we were gone, because I'm looking forward to that. I hope that that stays the same. I miss riding my bike. I didn't get to ride the bike most of the time that I was in India. I'm so used to riding back and forth from my house to the church building. I ride like five days a week. It's wonderful. I love being outside. I love the exercise that I get. I was like, ooh, I really want that to stay the same. I want to go back to my rhythm of bike riding. There were things that were different about traveling in general that I kind of wanted to hold on to. Like I wasn't checking my email as often just because I was on vacation. I wasn't doing the, the work of the church. There wasn't in communication with most people from back home. And that was kind of nice. And some of that comes with vacation. You can't do that forever. But I realized I was probably checking my email a little bit too much. Maybe too much at home when I'm supposed to be focused on family time. Maybe even checking it with a little bit more anxiety than I wanted to. There was something about being unplugged from it. And I said, you know what? I want that to be different. I want my relationship with my inbox to be different when I go back. Also, I was unplugged from social media. I wasn't scrolling through some of the, the sites that I normally do, just mindlessly. I, I realized I got this report on my phone one day, and it said, your screen usage is down 33%. I went, awesome, that's, that's healthy. Let's keep that when we go back home. That's something that I want to change. What I want to be different, what I want to stay the same. I want you to consider those questions this morning. As the calendar changes, we say, 54321, Happy New Year, 20. 24. Think about what you want to stay the same. What is good in your life? What good spiritual disciplines do you have now that you don't want to lose? What good habits have you cultivated this year that you'd like to carry on or even have grow to be more healthy habits into the new year? And along with that question, ask yourself, what do I want to change? What uh, bad habits would I like to leave behind? What spiritual disciplines have I neglected or not cultivated the way that I know I, want, I, know I should? I maybe have in the past. Be thinking those questions because this is a good time of year to do that. And like I said, it's interesting that Jesus asks us the question, what is it that you want? And sometimes we don't even know the answer. Matthew chapter 20 is an interesting chapter as a whole because there's several different stories, just these little vignettes of exchanges that Jesus has and these glimpses that he gives us of what kingdom life is supposed to be like. And there's more than one occasion where he asks someone a question where maybe the answer should seem obvious. Or maybe he asks the question and the answer that's given, Jesus indicates is not a very good answer. Are you curious? You want to go there and listen to what, what some of these examples are? with me? Matthew chapter 20 begins with Jesus telling the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This is one of my favorite parables. It's a story of a guy who goes to hire day laborers. He hires them in the morning. They go and they work in his field. Great. They're doing a great job. They work eight hours. 
He goes and hires somebody, uh, another set of workers a couple hours later. They go, they work in the field. He does this all day long. And then there's one hour left in the workday, and the vineyard owner goes to these day laborers and says, hey, why are you standing around doing nothing? A little bit accusing there, but he's saying, everybody else has been working. Why haven't you been working? And the day laborers say, well, no one has hired us. For whatever reason, that's just the truth. We haven't been working because nobody invited us to come and work in the vineyard. So the vineyard owner says, all right, you come and work in my vineyard. And then there's a whole kerfuffle about the people who worked all day are jealous that the people who worked only one hour got the same pay. And the the parable ends with the landowner saying, I can do what I want with my money. Are you envious because I'm generous? Jesus is showing us the nature of God the Father. He's a generous father, and he's also merciful. So we get these characteristics about Jesus. But did you notice in there too? The question that's presented Why have you been standing around all day doing nothing? And they have an answer, and it's not a great answer, but it's an answer. Any of these questions we hear from Matthew chapter 20, we can aim at ourselves. There's all this opportunity. Everybody else is out working in the vineyard. Why have you been standing around and doing nothing all day? Hmm, I don't know. After that, you get the mother of the sons of Zebedee going to Jesus and saying, Excuse me, Jesus. We can tell that you are the real deal. We can tell that you're going to be somebody. You're going to have this power. We maybe even believe that you're the Messiah. And we kind of want to get in on the ground floor when you rise to power. So I've got these two sons. And you know them. They've been traveling with you. They're good dudes. I have a request. And Jesus says, what is it you want? He says, let them them sit at your right hand and your left hand. Let them be co-leaders. Give them a, a cabinet position when you rise to power. That's her request. Jesus says, what do you want? She says, I want this. And you know what Jesus tells her? No, you don't. That's not a good thing to want. Oh, okay. You ever had that happen? Where someone says, what is it you want? And you say, well, I think I really want this. And they go, no, you don't. That's a dumb answer. You shouldn't want that. When I was in graduate school, I was at a dinner. This was about 14 years ago, by the way. You'll see why this math matters in a moment. Uh, And there was a church plant leader. He was really into church planting, and we were just having a casual, like a Christmas end of the semester dinner. And he said, why are you here at the graduate school? You're studying, what do you want to do with your degree? I said, well, I want to go into congregational ministry. He's like, oh, do you want to do foreign missions and, and go preach the gospel all across the world? I said, no, I really feel like I'm called to minister locally in the United States in a, you know, like a neighborhood congregation. And he said, no, you don't. That's a bad plan. I said, okay, tell me more about why it's so wrong about my whole, like, life goal and plan and career and what I'm investing all this money in education for. He said, well, the local church is dying. He told me, in 15 years, there will be no more local church. The church in the United States is in decline. And congregations that exist now are going to be gone in that amount of time. What you want to do is get into church planning, whether that's foreign missions or local city church planning within the United States. You need to start a church so that it will grow because the churches that exist now are dying. There's more to that conversation, but that was the gist of it. And he told me, what you want to do is not a good plan. It's not a good feeling. You know, if you do the math, that was 
14 years ago, and he said 15 years. Uh, so we'll see what the next year holds. If you look at the statistics, I don't want to bum people out too much, but if you look at the statistics, a lot of local congregations are in decline, and not as many people are going to church as they used to. People are not as brand loyal as they have been in the past to denominations or church traditions, like the Churches of Christ, or you know, Baptist Church, or Methodist Church, or whatever. People just kind of do different things, go to different congregations, they do their own thing at home, or they walk away from faith altogether, and that's a whole other story and, and series, but interesting, something to think about. This prediction that was made, and I said, well, be that as it may, I would like to be part of a local congregation. I feel like God has equipped me to do that. That's where I'm going. Sorry. I wrote this on the post-it, and then I forgot to say this earlier. Oh, you don't need to pick it up, because I know what it says. But Rick, thank you so much. Everybody clap for Rick. He's helped. <laughs> it says yams. I made myself a note. To say. This is the first thing I was supposed to say when I got up here, but I'll say it now. I really appreciate our young adults at Tri-Valley. I really appreciate the young adult ministry. I appreciate four young adults uh, spending time this Tuesday night coordinating and planning what they were going to say and how they were going to lead us to the communion table. Um, I appreciate them getting up and doing this. I think that that is fantastic. I think that flies in the face a little bit of the prediction that was made about the church not existing 15 years into the future. I mean, I think God can do whatever he wants with God's kingdom, and maybe the churches are going to continue to shrink. Maybe new churches will grow up and uh, take place of the churches that are here now. But it gives me a tremendous amount of hope and joy when I see our young people taking their faith seriously and saying, okay, and uh, just by the way, I plan on <laughs> handing over the microphone to them as often as I can, handing over the keys to leadership of this local congregation to young people who say, we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to follow Jesus and invite others to do that as well. This is all just sort of a little bit of an aside, but appreciate you guys, and uh, I'm thankful for the young adults and the young adult ministry at this church. Somehow, got to land the plane here with this message. Uh, the mother says, can we, can my sons be in leadership? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Because the kind of leadership I'm doing is not me sitting on a throne. It's me going to a cross. And if they want to be on my right and on my left, in a few days' time, they would be crucified along with me. You don't know what you're asking here. So Jesus kind of hands the answer back and says, you don't even know what you're what really you're asking. And that makes me wonder when I pray, when I, if I get the opportunity, if I really believe in Jesus and say, Lord, I need your help in life, how often do I say, in this specific way, I need you to do this one thing for me and then I'll leave you alone and I'll just, I'll take it from here. We studied throughout the book of James this last fall and remember we heard James say things like, listen, those of you who say, hey, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to this city or that city, I'm going to spend a year there, I'm going to make money, I'm going to do my business. He goes, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Here's what you should say instead. Kind of like Jesus handing back the wrong answer to the mom. Say, like, that's not what you really want. Let's try, let's, let's do better. James says, here's what you should say instead. If it's the Lord's will, we'll live, we'll do business, we'll do this, we'll do that. If it's the Lord's will, that's a good reminder. That's a good answer to 
to that question. Sometimes we pray prayers and we're not seeing results or we're, just, we're still frustrated with like the Christmas gift that we wanted and we get, but we don't appreciate it. We don't know what to do with it. We don't like it. We're, we're feeling like, what? what is missing? Again, James reminds us by saying, uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Think about this. Doesn't it come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, you don't get it, so you kill and you covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't get what you want because when you ask, you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're not asking for the kingdom. You're asking for yourself. And Jesus kind of like telling the mom, you're asking for something you think is going to go a certain way, but it really isn't. Just, just trust in me and let's go back to where we started. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the best response that we can give to just repeat that question back to Jesus. I don't know a lot of the time. I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want. But I trust in you. So my answer to the question, what do you want me to do for you, is to say to Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? That sounds a lot like the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So while we're praying, while we're making New Year's resolutions, while we're asking ourselves the question, what do we want to stay the same? What do we want to be different in our 2024? Let's keep that in mind. Some things might immediately be brought to mind. I definitely want this to change. I definitely need this healing. God, like those blind men, I trust in you. I'm just, I'm crying out for mercy. That's a prayer of faith. Pray that prayer. But also say, whatever you want, your will be done. Take me where you want me to go. Lead me, give me enough faith and trust to go where you call me, even if it's new, even if it's strange, even if I'm unprepared or feeling unqualified. If you say go, I will go. That's pretty much all I had prepared to say this morning. We're going to transition now into a time of prayer. I got about four uh, specific prayer requests that are in addition to some of the prayer requests that are being sent out uh, via email. So if you see that email, be praying for members of our congregation. Um, but I was given a card this morning with an update from our dear Arinda Weiss. She's given us some uh, information that it will be helpful. Arinda says, thanks to everyone for your continued prayers and support. I now know my complete treatment plan. I start radiation next week and soon after that, chemo. I will be in some state of treatment starting on Thursday and ending Memorial Day weekend in May. During this process, I will be at varying degrees of a compromised immune system. I will be wearing a mask to church on the days that I can attend. I'm asking all of you to ask before any physical touch. You got some of you specifically, like, don't go grab her. Keep her healthy. Uh, ask, and sometimes the answer is uh, not right now, but we appreciate that consideration. Uh, if you or anyone in your household has a cold or the flu-like uh, symptoms, please follow COVID protocol and stay six feet away. Thank you for your grace and understanding. For more information about my process, please visit my CaringBridge site. If you're on Facebook, Phil linked that CaringBridge site this morning, so you can check that out. Uh, Phil and I are happy to answer any questions that you may have, so please keep Arinda in your prayers. I also was brought to my attention that uh, Val Moniz has a, an infection, and she's going through her second round of um, 
antibiotics, so keep her in your prayers. Rick Cross's dad is in the hospital in Modesto, and he really appreciates you guys praying for his dad and, and praying for the rest of the family. And yeah, we're glad you're here, Rick, and we're gonna we're gonna what's your dad's first name again? James. Book of James. That'll be easy to remember. And then we got an email this morning from Wade and Sylvia Skinner saying, one, treatments that she's receiving are going well, and two, they had a good time visiting with family and they're traveling back home to this area again. So keep them in your prayers and keep uh, Sylvia's health uh, in your prayers. And all the other ones that you guys know about, important stuff. I want to end this morning by uh, turning you loose to pray in some small groups. Pray with the people around you. Yes, it's one of those Sundays where we turn and we close by just having a, a chorus of uh, groups of prayers lifting up each other's needs. Two prompts. I have these up on the screen here, Dick, if you want to show them. Maybe ask the person that you turn to in a moment, what is it that you want to stay the same this year? And the second question, its counterpart, what do you want to change? As we think about our walk with Jesus, as we think about our role in this church, what do you want to stay the same? What do you want to change? That's a good way to share. And then just spend a few moments praying for each other. And if you want to pray for other people that are on the prayer list, or if you want to bring up a prayer concern that we don't know about, that's also what this time is for. So, everybody ready? Please turn to the people around you, respond to these questions, and just spend uh, the next 10 minutes or so praying for each other. And once you're done, you may self-dismiss and go and have a happy new year.